Wash me in the blood of the Lamb, and I shall be whiter than snow. What wonderful hymns we've had today, haven't we? They're a bit long, John, that last one. My voice is gone now. We've been practicing for the choir. We sung in the remembrance service. We did this. We've been singing all day. And it's interesting, some of the songs we've sung, many of them today have been about peace. And yet the world has not got peace. Somebody mentioned at the Remembrance Service that H.G. Wells said, on the occasion of the end of the First World War, this is the war to end all wars. And yet we've had many, many wars since. I was up in Birmingham with Clive's uh, relative a little while ago. It's a colonel in the medical corps. He's about 80-odd years old. And he said that there's only been one year since the Second World War, that Britain's army hasn't been a in a conflict somewhere around the world. But when you think of the world as a whole, there's not been one day since the Second World War that there hasn't been a conflict. That's not peace, is it? There are things going on all over the world, even things that we don't know about. Charlotte was reading a, 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 a Christian magazine um, that covers a lot of um, missionaries, missionary work, and the, and the things that are going on in places that you've never heard of, where people are being butchered and killed, many of them for the sake of the gospel. But there are things going on in this world that we know nothing about, and the things that we do know things about. The Bible says that in the last days, they will cry, peace, peace. And there is no peace. And the world ultimately will be completely at war, fighting each other, killing each other, butchering each other for the sake of what? But one day, and this is what we're talking about tonight, the Prince of Peace will come. Hallelujah indeed, Alan. The Prince of Peace will come and there will, peace, will be peace on earth for a thousand years. And he will reign. And we sing that hymn, don't we? Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth his successive journeys run, his kingdom stretch from shore to shore. And peace will reign eternally. And he will be up on the throne. And that throne, where will it be? It will be in Jerusalem. And every man will have peace under his vine, which we looked at earlier in the week. Would you turn, please, to Thessalonians and chapter, chapter 4, as John told you this morning. That's where we would be looking. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we read the whole of the chapter. It's only 18 verses. Listen carefully to what God has to say uh, to us through the Apostle Paul. Verse 1, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor, 
not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may lack of nothing. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and that he rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Listen to the final words of the chapter. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Be comforted tonight by the word of God. And it tells us what our ultimate destiny is. And that's what we'll be talking about tonight. Father, we praise thee again for every blessing we have at thy hand, our God. And we thank thee for everyone here this evening who knows the Prince of Peace and knows the peace in their heart of sins forgiven, peace with God and an eternal home in heaven. As we gather tonight, our God, we pray that you will be with each one of us. As we sit in the pew, our God, as I stand in the pulpit, pray that you will speak, our God, through thy precious word and by thy Holy Spirit, that we all might realize that the only answer to this world's needs is the Lord Jesus Christ, that one who came to save to the uttermost all those who come unto him. And we pray that by thy grace tonight, our God, that someone will turn to thee for salvation, will turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and look back at that center cross and see the blood of the Lamb shed for rebels, shed for sinners, and shed for me. And we pray that they will see this message, this message of the gospel, as a personal message, and that they will realize that the Lord Jesus Christ can be their savior. Settle our hearts now, our God. As I speak, I pray that you will literally move me aside, and that we will see no man 
save Jesus only. Tonight, our God, bless us and be with us, we pray. For we ask it in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This is a wonderful little, little letter, little epistle that Paul writes to the Thessalonian believers. It's only short. It's five, five chapters, five little chapters. And Darren has spoken on it in the last couple of years, and I've still got the notes in my Bible. Now, whenever I, whenever I speak, there's one lady, she plays the organ. I won't name her, but she plays the organ. And if I've spoken before and she's been here, she's got all the details written in there and the date that I preached it. And uh, she'll know that Darren wrote the, uh, said this uh, or spoke this message. And it's, Thess it's 1 Thessalonians. Look at chapter 1 for a start. And you will see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, that Paul is speaking to these believers. And by all uh, stretches of the imagination, this church at Thessalonica is a good church, is a good church. It's got its problems, like all churches. But generally speaking, it's a good church. And Darren spoke of it as being an energetic church, an energetic church. And you find that in verse 3. Paul says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. Remembering their unceasing work and their unceasing faith. So they were an energetic church. We are told that from the outset. And we know that it was written by Paul and Timothy and uh, and. As Silas, Silvanus it calls him, but Silas his name is. And they were an energetic church. But Darren told us that it's also an exemplary church. And you'll find that in verse 7. And it says, So that ye were examples or examples to all the churches that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. So they weren't only an energetic in their preaching of the gospel and in the work that they did in the church, they were an example to other churches. It goes on to tell us in verse 8 that they were an evangel evangelistic church, an evangelistic church. For from you, in verse 8 it says, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God would is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. So they were a good example and they preached the gospel and they worked hard. What I want to talk about tonight is the fact that they were an expectant church. And are we an expectant church? Verse 10. Verse 9, for the sake of... of um, Connecting it up. He said, how ye turned to God from idols. These people had turned to God from their idols to serve the living and the true God. And this is the verse I want to get to. And to wait for his son from heaven. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus 
which delivered us from the wrath to come. I want to know, is anybody here this evening waiting for the wrath to come? Because you shouldn't be. The scripture is so clear that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be delivered from the wrath to come. You will not go through the wrath to come. You will be delivered from it. But if you, have, if you haven't trusted Christ as your saviour, take that on board. The church should be waiting for the coming of the Lord. And when we look at this, thirst, this Thessalonian church, I always say this, I know, but I never know whether to call this church the thirst of the church of Thessalonica or Thessalonica or Thessaloniki or any one of the other dozen names that it has. So I try and call it the church of the Thessalonians. But it's, it's, it's a tongue twister, but, but bear with me. But this church was waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If they were waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, 20 years after he ascended back to the right hand of God, how much more should we be waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years after he ascended back to his Father God? How much more should we be waiting? But we are not. The church in general is not waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was so encouraged this morning when I told somebody what I was speaking about. And they said, I prayed last night that the Lord Jesus Christ would come. We should be looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should be working in the meantime. We should be an example in the meantime. And we should be energetic in the meantime. And as you get older, or as we get older, I never thought I'd have to say that, but we are getting older, aren't we? Every day, we're all getting older. Our energy diminishes. So work while you're young and work for the sake of the gospel and for the preaching of the gospel. So it's just a little background of the church of the Thessalonians. But we came to that verse and to wait for his son from heaven. And now we go over to the chapter that we read, chapter 4. And I always head this. I can't remember the heading I gave to Josh earlier on. But I always head this chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ coming for his saints, as opposed to chapter 5, which is the Lord Jesus Christ coming with his saints. Write it in your Bible. And after we've spoken about it tonight, you may understand it a little better. He says in that first verse of chapter 4, furthermore, furthermore. Now you might have a different version of the Bible that says finally, finally. Well, furthermore or finally, very similar words. But when a preacher says finally, well, Paul said finally in this chapter, he still had two chapters to go. When Brother Andrew says, finally, it might be another 20 minutes before he actually says, amen. But there we are. But furthermore, Paul says, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you. And this little book of Thessalonians, this little epistle, is to exhort the believer to build us up upon our most holy faith. 
And he says, I want to exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as you have received of the apostles how you ought to walk, so he told them how they ought to walk, and how you ought to live to please God so that you would abound more and more. So he's exhorting them to live as they should live and walk as they should walk. In verse 2 he says, For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Now, Paul had been with them, Timothy had been with them, Silas had been with them, and they'd spent time, much time, instructing them in the things of God, instructing them in the word of God. And he says, You know how we commanded you and instructed you in the things of God. For we know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, verse 3, even your sanctification, your setting apart. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking about the church being separated from the world, sanctified, that ye should abstain from fornication. Now I said this church wasn't perfect. It was very good by all accounts but they had their difficulties and they had their problems. And this is one of their problems, was fornication. And Paul goes on to speak about sexual sin within the church. And he says that they should abstain from it, that it shouldn't once be mentioned among them. And he goes on to say that how they should behave within the church. And he says you shouldn't be behaving like the Gentiles, in the lusts of the flesh. And he comes to verse 7 and he says, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness. He has not called us unto uncleanness, but he has called us unto holiness. And that's where he has called us tonight, unto holiness and to be sanctified and separated and set apart from the world. Verse 8. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and God speaks to us through his word and through his Holy Spirit. May he speak to each one of us tonight. But he says in verse 9, but as touching brotherly love, ye Ye need not that I write unto you. So here's another thing that they got right. I don't need to write to you about brotherly love. You've got it. You've taken it on board. And you are loving one another within the church. For ye yourselves are taught of God. Not only the Thessalonian believers, but the church at Bethany. Ye are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it. So again, they were an example of brotherly love. And they did it towards all the brethren which were in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. It's like the vine tree that we spoke about, isn't it, recently? And the vine tree would produce more and much fruit and more fruit again. And the reason the Apostle Paul is exhorting these Thessalonian believers 
is so that they produce more fruit and much fruit and more fruit again. He wants them to produce fruit for God. And the message comes down to us here today, almost 2,000 years later. Verse 11, and that ye study to be quiet. You ambitiously endeavor to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Evidently what was happening, they knew the Lord was coming and they were looking for the coming of the Lord. And the, Lord, the coming of the Lord, even in that day, almost 2,000 years ago, was imminent. It could have happened at any time. It didn't. And it still hasn't happened today. But it is imminent. And we should be looking for the coming of the Lord. But what some of these Thessalonian believers did, they decided, well, the Lord is coming. Why should we worry about working? Why should we worry about doing this and doing that? I'm talking about physical work and their employment now. Why should we work? The Lord is coming. Let's just rest on our laurels and wait for him to come. And Paul is saying, work with your hands. Do your work with diligence. And be an example to all those outside. What else does he say? So study to be quiet and to do your own business, to work with your hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly. So he wanted them to be honest, honest. He wanted them to study. He wanted them to have brotherly love. He wanted to exhort them. He wanted them to be sanctified. He wanted them to be called of God, and he wanted them to be holy. And he says in verse 12, that ye may walk honestly towards them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing, that God will bless you and give you everything that you need. And now we come uh, to, the, to the part that I really want to talk about. And it complements what John spoke about this morning. John was speaking uh, about the eternal state. The eternal state. Get those words in your mind. They're not, they're not actually found in the Bible. Eternity is, obviously. But it is the eternal state. What will happen ultimately? And John was talking about a time 1,007 years from today. And that is if the Lord comes tonight. If the Lord comes tonight, John was speaking about a time that is 1,007 years from this Sunday night. We'll read this together and go through this again, verse by verse. I am speaking of what will happen if the Lord Jesus Christ comes back tonight to take the church to be with himself. Comes down, and every true believer in Bethany will be gone. And it could happen before the meeting is over. Verse 13 he says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. What he's talking about is those that have died in the Lord. Remember, there's only 20 years or so have passed since the Lord Jesus Christ 
return to heaven. Only 20 years or so. But in that 20 years, there are those who've trusted Christ as their saviour and they've died and they've gone to the grave and their bodies have been corrupted. And this is what the Thessalonian believers had a problem with. How can God possibly revive them when, they revert, when they've reverted to dust? How can God do that? They could understand how they were still alive and God could take them up to meet the Lord in the air, but they could not understand how maybe their parents who trusted Christ as Saviour had gone to the grave and how they would be raised. How could they be raised and reconstituted? But nothing is too difficult for God, is it? And Paul explains exactly how this works. He said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And I believe that he'd already explained all this to them on a previous visit. But sometimes we need telling twice, don't we? And I believe that's why Paul wrote Second Thessalonians. Paul wrote First Thessalonians for them, and they read it. But we don't listen, do we? We don't listen to the word of God. We don't listen to the word of the gospel. Many people have come under the gospel many times, and yet have still never been saved. And Paul wrote Second Thessalonians because they weren't listening probably the first time. But let's come back to our verse. He says, Don't be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which have died in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now, if we have a loved one who has gone to be with the Lord, we will sorrow and we will grieve. But the grieving and the sorrow is not as much because we know where they're gone. And we know that one day we will meet them again. And he says this to them, that ye sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. We have a hope, an eternal hope, a hope that one day we will spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not a hope like the world has, that it won't rain tomorrow maybe, that it won't rain tomorrow, or a hope that's a worldly hope. It's a, it's a hope that comes directly from God himself in his word. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and I hope that we all do here this evening, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, so that those who have died knowing Christ as their saviour, will God, God bring with him. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, that's us tonight, Paul, Paul is no longer with us. The Thessalonian believers are no longer with us. They have died in Christ. But the people he's talking to or talking about are those which are alive and remain. And we are alive and remain. And if the Lord comes in our lifetime, we will be caught up to be with him. 
So let's read the verse again, get a better understanding of it. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. And all that last bit of the verse means is that we will by no means go before them. We which are alive and remain will not, by no means go before them. They're in the grave, but we will go together, as he says in the next verse. He says, for the Lord himself, verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. You see, they were upset about those who had gone before, of those who had gone to the grave, and he was putting their minds at rest. The dead in Christ, he said, shall rise first. What a wonderful scripture that is, isn't it? What an assurance for those of us who have lost loved ones in the Lord Jesus. But what does he go on to say? He speaks about us who are alive and remain. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a verse that is, isn't it? Do you know, if the Lord came during the course of our, of our meeting this evening, we would be gone. We wouldn't have a say in it. And praise God for that. No say in it at all. Whether we're ready or not is another thing. And the fact is, I don't think anybody will be ready. They might be wanting the coming of the Lord tonight. But will they be ready? When you look at those two words in that verse, caught up, we will be caught up together with those who have died and we will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That word caught up there, I'm told, in Greek, and many, many preachers say it, is the word harpazo, harpazo, H-A-R-P-A-Z-O. And it means to seize, to grab hold of. So if the Lord comes to the air tonight, to take the church home, you and I won't have a say in it. We will just be grabbed and we'll be taken to be forever with the Lord. But there's a, a Latin word that explains it as well. And it's called, if I'm pronouncing it right, raptare. Raptare. R-A-P-T-A-R-E, if you're writing it down. And it means to snatch violently away. Well, you say, why would the Lord be violent with us? Tell you why he'd be violent with us. You might explain it like this. If there was a fire here tonight, I hope that some of the younger men would be grabbing hold of those who are older and literally throwing them through the door. And God is doing exactly the same thing. He is taking us out of a, a world that is rapidly collapsing. And when the time is right, God will send his son to save this world. 
And he will remove us from the world. And he will remove us violently because he wants to save us from the wrath which is to come. Do you want to be saved from the wrath which is to come? Maybe you don't. Maybe you're not interested in anything the word of God has to say tonight. But God will judge this world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained. And that man is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will judge this world in righteousness. And the wrath will surely come upon this world. So we see that picture. If you want another picture of raptari or raptari, I don't know how to say the word, but the nearest word we've got in the English language is raptor, raptor. Do you know what a raptor is? Some of you probably do. It's a bird. It's a bird that comes down from the sky and grabs its prey in its talons. Think of an eagle in Scotland because we've got none left in Wales anymore. So they're up in Scotland. And they say that an eagle can see one mile down to the earth. One mile down to the earth. I can't even see Marilyn in the back of the church. But that's another story, isn't it? One day our, our sight will be perfect too. But the eagle comes down and he grabs that little mouse, a little rodent. I don't want anybody crying over a dead animal. But he comes down and he grabs that little mouse and he's looked from up there and he comes down in a matter of seconds and grabs the mouse. The mouse knows nothing about it. That's what a raptor does. A raptor. And that's where the word comes from. That's the root of the word, a raptor. And we will be seized violently away. So if the Lord comes tonight, are we ready? Are we right with God? Do we know Christ as our Savior or not? But to these Thessalonian believers, Paul is actually saying, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And we should be comforted with these words tonight. Are we comforted? The difficulty I've got is this, and it's my problem as much as many other people's problems. I know people... Um, who are trying to fulfill their bucket list in their old age, in their 80s. They're still trying to fulfill their bucket list. There's other places they need to go on holidays. And I'm no different. It's my 70th birthday next year, and I'm planning to go somewhere nice if possible. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if that takes priority over the coming of the Lord, there's something wrong. Our feet are too firmly planted on the ground. We're looking to our, ah, our 40th birthday. Anything with a naught on is big, isn't it? Our 40th birthday, our 50th birthday, our 60th birthday, our set, and whatever else, however high you can count. And that's what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to a wedding anniversary, and we're going to have a big do, aren't we? We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And yet, we are not promised tomorrow. God has not promised us tomorrow. We know not what a day may bring forth. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. Where have we read that before? Anybody think? Got to turn back a bit, a few books. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
Listen to what he says. Speaking to his disciples, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. You remembered where it was, didn't you? I know you did. We're a Bible-believing church. We should know where it is. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Don't get too hung up on the word mansions. It just means abiding places. In my Father's house are many abiding places. She says, and whither I go, ye know. Go back to verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I shall come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So we're going to be with him. Jesus, Thomas said unto Jesus, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Now I hope and pray that more than 90% of people in Bethany tonight, they know the way because they know the way is to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. But how does Jesus answer his disciples? He says this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. There's no other way. There's no other truth. And there is no other life. Have you trusted him? Do you know him as your savior? If you don't, think on these things tonight. Think about the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fact that he died at the place called Calvary, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Why should he bother? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Escape from the wrath to come should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, we've looked at that little epistle of Thessalonians. The, the Thessalonian believers were uncertain about many things. And Paul was putting them right. He was correcting their thinking as far as the second coming of the Lord Jesus is concerned. And from chapter 1 he, to chapter 3, he was telling them, trials will come. Is it any different today? We face trials today, don't we? In chapter 4, he was telling them, temptation will come. Is it any different in Bethany? Temptations will come. Trials will come. Temptations will come. But praise God, Jesus will come. Shall we pray? Father, we praise thee that the Lord Jesus Christ will come suddenly and he'll come to take us to be with himself. We pray that you will speak to each of us tonight concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus. When he comes to those clouds, 
we pray that everybody in this room tonight will be there. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. We'll all be there. Lord, speak to our hearts, we pray. Make us look up. For our redemption draweth nigh. We ask these things in his name. Amen. And now we'll sing another hymn, please. In closing, there is a name. I've got to look around because I cannot see that anymore. The writing is much too small. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love the Savior's name. If you love the Savior's name, sing it like you've never sung it before.
Perhaps John would close us with a word of prayer. Thank you, John.